Hello, welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 62. Um, before we get into it, I'm going to once again remind everyone to like, comment, subscribe, um, share this if you uh, have the cojones to do that. And we are also taking donations. So if you want to help us continue doing this, it helps a lot. So yeah, send us some money. Links in the description. Yeah, links in the description. With that, today we are joined once again. Who, you know, we've had him on once before. We are joined by Mark Changizi, a theoretical neurobiologist and author. Um, we've had Mark on before uh, last year, in which we discussed the rise of what we were seeing as totalitarianism in the form of the new normal bullshit. Dr. Dr. Mark. Dr. Mark, yes. Sorry, I forgot. Mark is very prestigious, Dr. Mark. But Mark, welcome. The only, the only doctor who does not put doctor in his handle on Twitter. Yeah, well, you know, I props, think sir, props. that is props because I think some people definitely do that to kind of be a little pretentious about it. I think I would only do it if I get a Master of Public Health and then I would... <laughs> then I would put that MPH on there to really show my colors. Then maybe you wouldn't be so shadow banned. You'd be an expert, right? (laughs) But Mark, thanks again for joining us. Um, You know, we really appreciate it and we appreciate everything you've been doing for freedom and truth and all of that. So, Yes, if you don't follow Dr. Mark on Twitter, you should because he is probably one of the most shadow banned people that are still on the platform. That's one of the things we're going to get into, but I don't want to jump right into that. Actually, the first thing I wanted to start with was I wanted to ask Mark about his new book. I figured that would be the best place to start. Uh, It's called Expressly Human, Decoding the Language of Emotion. And it's coming out in a couple months, actually, on July 26th. And you co-wrote this with uh, Tim Barber. Um, Tell us a bit about this book. Uh, Why did you guys write this together? And... Was this uh, inspired in any way by the events of the last two years? That's another question, too. So, Yeah. So, I mean, this book goes back long before um, uh, COVID and, and all the COVID hysteria from last year. But it turns out to be uh, about, you know, implicitly about what is covered up by masks and, uh, uh, you know, and, and the origin, the foundations of free expression. How is it that social animals like us came to express ourselves at all? And why did we come to do this? What are the purposes of free expression? How does it function in a social community? Uh, so uh, from our point of view, really, this was the original point of this was trying to have a first principles understanding of why we have emotional expressions. Uh, what emotional expressions do we have? How do they all intersect in sort of a, in a bundle to serve uh, as a communication systems of sort to do something among social animals? And so as a as sort of theorist-minded, mathy kinds of folks that are, have a long history of doing cognitive, psychological kinds of things and uh, cultural evolution kinds of stuff. Um, we've been working on this since, you know, maybe 2010, 2011. So finally, it's this, I mean, it's exactly what I left academia for. In academia, it's very hard to work on large, big, you know, PhD thesis kinds of stuff, or at least the ideals for what you kind of romantically want out of a PhD thesis. In reality, most PhD theses are kind of just incremental work on your advisor's stuff um, rather than the romantic idea. And in academics, if you've managed to somehow have the romantic idea of a thesis, by the time you're a professor, it's just completely beaten over you. You're just got to get a grant, three grants every year, and uh, that never happens again. So the reason I left academia was to buy my intellectual freedom and work on big ideas like I had managed to do before and to continue to do so. This, so this book, you know, it, it, let me it just occurred to me earlier today um, that 
once COVID hit and the mass hysteria hit, amongst other kinds of things like lockdowns and, and many other kinds of civil rights violations, two of the major ones were direct hits on free expression. Um, within months, uh, we were told that we are no longer able to express ourselves. And by, by that, I mean, not just a spoken expression or written expression. Um, we can't emotionally express ourselves. We show people our faces. Just thought, yeah, <laughs> really can't show our faces. And if you do so, you're putting in people in danger. You're putting right. people in danger. Now, there's a number of, there's, you know, a hundred different reasons why face masks are, 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 um, are, are harmful and not to mention their efficacy or inefficacy, just in case you put this on YouTube or something, I'm going to say things in an ambiguous way. Um, so um, in addition to that, they, they prevent us from engaging in the very language that we evolved as social animals to speak to other social animals with, which is our emotional expressions. Um, language, spoken language, written language, things like this, which I, my previous book, Harnessed, actually this book back here, Harnessed is about, is about how we came to culturally evolve language, but our evolution is what gave us emotional expressions. And it's these emotional expressions which masks cover over, and the book is about the foundations of emotional expressions. But the book is also about Emotional expressions are how emotional, how social animals manage to also bet reputation and shove in chips and, and put stake and say, look, I really think what I'm saying is right. And I'm really, really, do you know who I am? I'm totally, totally right. And I would be so, you know, it is, this is the kind of stuff that we do and we emotionally express confidence. Or I say, you don't even know what you're talking about. Now I'm showing more disdain. I'm also pushing in chips by lowering you rather than raising myself. But by doing this, in having the ability to push in reputation in, onto the table, I am more believable because you say, well, he's risking something, right? And if it turns out that I'm wrong, I lose a lot. If it turns out I'm, I'm right and you were trash talking back, you lose reputation. It, this, these are the fundamental mechanisms, the emotional expressions and how they work in this kind of poker-like way where social networks through these free expressive properties, um, then people rise and fall in reputation over time. And that's how we come to believe what we be, believe. And that's how truth is slowly moved towards in these networks when it's done in this way. So the book, you know, I, you know, when we started writing this and working on it, certainly masks were never on our mind. Like, how could we ever have thought the world was going to suddenly um, ban masks? Yeah, I think most, expression, most people, which was, which most was people problem, I don't think could have conceived of something like that being mandated. No, no and I, I, I brought this out. This is a... <laughs> Who would have thought that this shit show, <laughs> Welcome to shit show would yeah. have hit us in March of 2020? Yeah. And so, and then, you know, free expression has been an issue for four or five years, but it really hit hard um, uh, in 2020, and especially in 2021, when the Biden administration started, so it started to clamp down on, which is what our, you know, First Amendment lawsuit is about. Is about. So really the book now ends up having these two other angles. Not only is it, hope, in, in our opinion, a grand unifying theory of emotional expressions and a revolutionary idea within you know psych psychology, cognitive science, but it's also a fundamental kind of uh, argument for why masks shouldn't be there and why uh, how we can understand uh, social networks and and why free expression is is, is crucial um, to how they work. Fascinating. Uh, I remember you post. I don't have it here. Maybe Brent can dig it up. But I remember you posted a sort of chart of the expressions. I don't remember how many you have in that chart, but maybe you can tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's right back here. I mean, oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, Brent's got it. He's going to pull it up. Oh, Cheng Chengis has got one. He's got, the, he's got the actual. Yeah, he's probably got like a, a poster version of it. Nice. <laughs> nice. He's got it. Yeah, so this is a, a sort of a gigantic uh, printed on canvas variant on it, which I, I'm not going to try to go through it here, but the idea is. Blow you, you know, up. See if I can straighten it out here. 
but you know, traditionally there's, there's, they have these spaces that you may have seen where they show anger and sadness and happy and surprise and disgust. And, um, I may, I'm missing one and fear. And they're yeah, just sort of like nine, like subgroups, I guess. Yeah. And so in this case, it's actually, it's really, I don't want to, I think it's not the time or place, but I'll do some science moment videos at my YouTube channel on this kind of thing. But the idea, uh, I'll try to say when you were, it's, this is the fundamental math of negotiation. If you're arguing with a realtor and um, you just say, look, I want more, you're being aggressive. I want less. I'm being conciliatory. Or you might not just say I'm aggressive. Like I'd like to have a lower price. You know, like you said, 200,000, I'd like 180,000. And that's my final offer, right? What you've done is you say, I want a better offer and I'm serious. So you've been, you've shown confidence, right? All the time when we negotiate, we actually have two dimensions of things that we're doing. We're either conciliatory or aggressive, but we're also either casual, 180,000, but maybe I'm wrong. Now I'm being casual about my, my, my aggressive offer. But, you know, I'm, I'm open to negotiate. So we know this in our bones that there's actually two dimensions to it. And it was, there's an emotion for each of these. And when we engage in emotional expressions, we're engaging in, in a negotiation looking for a compromise. And each time that we do something either aggressive, whether it's a, uh, whether it's pride or disdainful or, or I'm betting reputation. But also when you hear me or let's suppose you are just aggressive. If I show unhappiness, I'm, I'm basically not acknowledging, OK, all that unhappiness means, OK, you were just aggressive. Or if you were conciliatory, I'm saying, OK, I get it. You were conciliatory. That's great. But in the context of that, it turns out the combination of what I did here, given what you just did, leads to a particular spot in this space. So, for example, if you were just um, uh, if you were just aggressive, I would acknowledge that by saying, OK, I'm unhappy. I'm showing you that I got your offer and that puts us over into this unhappy nine over here. But now I'm going to I'm going to be, let's say um, I'm going to say I want more and I'm serious in the context of me being unhappy. What would have been pride is now angry. But if instead you had offered me actually more, I'd be happy. But if I still said I'm serious that I want more, I'd be more like smug. I go, that's so great, but I still want more. You know, like it's a very different emotion. <laughs> and when you work out all of these kind of combinations, they're all sensible things. And they're all exactly, um, they each correspond to a bet or an unbet. If I'm conciliatory, I'm kind of pulling chips off the table. And um, it's, so, like a, it's like an emoji it's, matrix. <laughs> it's like an emoji matrix and each one has a fundamental understandable meaning in terms of the, of the sorts of compromises that animals, social animals had to be able, they wanted to evolve to come to some kind of ability to not fight about it, not just physically fight about it or, or you know, the, the, but to instead talk about it. And if somebody just backs down and folds and says, okay, maybe you're right. And the reason I'm, because you're betting a lot of reputation. So I'd rather just believe you. And uh, on the basis of these back and forths, with Chip's reputation being bet, it was a way of coming. It is the way when you derive the way that social animals, the language of social animals need to have to truthfully or somewhat truthfully, somewhat honestly, come to a compromise. This is the this is the, the expressive signaling system that comes out of that. Okay. Did you uh, and Tim come up with this chart, this emoji matrix together? Yes. This, this is what's derived from principles. Yeah. And tell us a bit about Tim Barber, your your co-author. Yeah, so Tim and I have been friends since uh, high school, and uh, he got he went on and got his PhD in mathematics from Princeton. I got my PhD in math from University of Maryland, and then we kind of went different routes. He went and he started a couple of companies and sold those companies and did very well. Um, these were sort of uh, tech companies, uh, uh, companies that checked to see whether the credit card. Uh, 
is, is an actual a real person versus a fake person, you know, credit card checking as well as um, that's called Counts with a K. And there's other companies called ClickBank, which are uh, one of the first online merchant sellers, multi-layer kind of multi-sellers back in the 90s. Hmm. And so whereas I went the normal route, I was at, you know, I was a professor in Ireland in computer science. Then I went to Duke in psychology and then to Caltech and in, in neuroscience and then up to cognitive science and RPI. And then I started and I, he and I still friends and we had actually written a couple papers together over time. Said, hey, let's let's both converge again outside of academia, outside of, you know, and do a, have a company slash institute, which was 2AI was our research institute, which we started in 2010 with the idea that we have both uh, intellectual products, uh, new books that, you know, I've had two or three books, three or four books come out while I've been with 2AI, but also we have entrepreneurial angles like, you know, for example, I was wearing this earlier. This is uh, one of the products that comes out of our Vino Optics uh, company, Vino Optics. We make, well, uh, we make, you know, glasses that paramedics and nurses, you just put this on with normal light and you can see your veins better. We have colorblindness mm -hmm. technology and these are our free X glasses sort of working with our, the Free Expression Institute which allows you to actually see emotions on bare skin better. You know, one of my 2006 discoveries is why we came to have color vision. We have color vision, red, green in particular, we evolved that the other mammals have. Don't, the other mammals don't have, your dog doesn't have red, green, but primates, some of us primates do. It's to see blood under the skin, to huh. see emotions and health. You're actually seeing the oxygenation modulations of blood under the skin. When you see the glow of youth on a beautiful person, let's say, or just the glow of skin at all, as opposed to just sort of a mannequin, you're seeing yeah, the blood. Right. When someone's like transparent. Yeah. When someone's like embarrassed and the blood rushes to their face right. and things like that. Yeah. Right. And it happens all the time, and you're not consciously um, aware of it. But the, but the, but this technology, Frex technology, just it's just regular old sunwear, but it augments your ability to see those states, which is why we have all color vision in the first place. I gotta check those out. So I wanted to stay on this topic about free expression, but move into the realm of. Um, text and ideas and social media because you know we're talking about the masks and how that limits free expression but you you are one of the most shadow banned people i've ever encountered <laughs> on yeah. twitter um and this is one of the things i really wanted to get you back on to talk about because it's been happening for a while now at least like half a year right um your account was growing very fast you were in like 30 something thousand followers and then they kicked you off uh, I think you appealed, right? And then you got back. And then now your your posts are hidden for most people behind this sort of click wall. Most things that you post are hidden and you have to click to even see <laughs> that the you know what the post is, let alone if the post even pops up on our wall. You know, I do find I have to typically go to your page more now yeah. to see what you're posting because I it's just not coming up for me. So talk a bit about that and then talk a bit about the lawsuit that you filed um, regarding all of this? Yeah, so it's not just, so uh, a significant fraction of my followers just thought I was gone forever. They just don't see my posts anymore. So it's not just that when you do see my posts, if you happen to see it, that they're just, uh, they're basically saying this content's insensitive and they don't show you what the post is. Also, if you go to my page, it just shows, it, for many people, this, if, you're too, if, you, if you don't yet follow me, when it brings up my name at all, if it finally brings up my account, it'll just show, are you sure you want to enter this account? This is a sensitive, censored, or something kind of account, so it scares you away. And it won't even bring you there. Even if you type Mark Changizi, you know, Mark Chang, there's no other Mark Changizi, but you type Mark Changiz without the final I, it still doesn't bring me up. And then if you hit the final I, I think it still shows some old account of mine that's like a backup account that I've lost yeah. access to. And then 
there's something on the bottom that says see more. You've got to hit the see more. And then finally, you can actually see my account, which it then tries to scare you away. So I only noticed maybe in November of last year that this was the case. And then when I went back and I looked at my impressions from uh, just all through 2020 and all through 2021, um, I realized that my impressions had been you know, taking off and had peaked in May of 2021 just at the time when the Biden administration and Saki, Jen Saki had come out and said, we're working with big tech to censor flag and censor um, mm. uh, the, the, the misinformers. And so then you can see my impressions rose, 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 and then fell, fell, fell. And they just kept falling in a, in a, in a gradual way to back where they, the impressions were what they started, you know, when I basically had almost no impressions before uh, March of 2020. And so it was very gradual. It wasn't like it was high and then boom, like one mechanism. It's like they slowly turned on more and more mechanisms over time to slowly bring me back to uh, effectively the starting point. Uh, so that that was highly causally tied to Jen Psaki's comments as all of our experiences, many of the, the they, had, they had certainly censored people and kicked people off before, but the real qualitative change and the rate at which they did that uh, with Alex Berenson and all of these others that were and Nick Hudson and so forth happened somewhere around May of 2021, where it just just ramped it ramped up in in uh, in coincident timing with uh, the Biden administration's that announcement. Sounds about right. So uh, I think it was around July of 2021 um, that our Instagram page we became heavily shadow banned on there, and that was when I first noticed that we couldn't tag the page. So, and, mm -hmm. and, and what's funny is like that account is linked to my main account and even from my main account, yeah, I could not tag my own podcast. Yeah. You know, so things like that, it, they lifted that recently. I noticed, I think last week or the week before that now all of a sudden I could tag it. Actually, I noticed shortly after the Elon announcement about Twitter this happened and it made me think like hmm <laughs> like is facebook worried are they you know are they worried that you want them out too i don't know but all of a sudden i could tag my podcast again but for a good solid six months no one could you know yeah, yeah. i understand yeah um, so uh, your point uh, one this ain't just a twitter problem this is a facebook this is a youtube yeah. instagram problem um in fact you i actually plotted my number of new subscribers at youtube and it follows with, of course, the number of subscribers is much smaller numbers and, you know, the thousands rather than the millions of, of impressions. So it's a much chunkier, you know, more erratic curve, but it follows basically the same overall pattern. So my number of new subscribers, you know, when you get more subscribers, you usually grow even faster. You know, it tends to just build on itself like a snowball. It doesn't just rise, even though I'm constantly doing more and more efforts and then just fall, but it still follows the same general pattern of, um, uh, and I, you know, two of them were censored. You guys had the entire YouTube channel at one point. One of yours was taken down, right? That was Brent's yeah, personal a, page. I had a solo channel that I did, kind of like a Tim Pool style news commentary. Yeah, ten to thirty minute videos. Yeah. Where I Which sort of you know, you had subject. you had started a couple years before we even started this show with yes, us together. Yes. So they didn't yeah. like that one yeah. because I was being critical of the drag kid and trans kid and saying things like joe biden has is behaving like a sexual yeah, predator they, they don't like when anyone who's technically within the lgbt <laughs> community right. criticizes any of the uh, woke ideology coming yeah certainly worse uh oh. yeah if you're yeah you're a traitor or whatever yeah yes. twitter right. also yeah. nuked my my original twitter account yep, yep. They they did. That, that, that was, was last month 
was last month. Not last month. Was, oh, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know. I guess it was a. Wasn't that because you used the uh, the c word though? Um, no. <laughs> Someone that reported was, you. That was that was actually the, I think the first suspension I got on my new account was for using the c word with the u. The, after civil, civil rights is that the c word? No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not that one. The uh, offensive word for lady. For lady parts. That, that um, one. I've only I, I've only gotten one slap on the wrist from Twitter so far, and because I've been really careful, but this was. Man, this was last year, last summer, probably in July, actually, back when I started getting back on Twitter. But I told, uh, I tweeted at Pfizer and I told them to go fuck themselves. But you <laughs> used a PF, right? You said fuck. So. No, I did not. I definitely. Okay. Well, that, that was. <laughs> I definitely spelled it out. And yeah, so they gave me, a, I think it was a 24 hour ban, like a slap on the wrist where you can't do anything. Yeah, I think what happens and is that was it, if you so. get reported a certain number of times, they. You, they just automatically shunt you into the suspension channel and they have, I don't think there's any like actual human that reviews it. It's if somebody reports you, their algorithms read your tweet. And if the algorithm determines that your tweet has the high enough score, you know, whatever their threshold is for phrases or words, then they, there might be a system in which, you know, for certain accounts that have bigger influence that does get kicked over to an actual person to review it. I oh, imagine. yeah. Well, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, probably if you've got a larger... Like, Cengizi probably had his account showed to someone, and they were just like, hmm, let's review this. And oh, they're they like, oh, this is dangerous. We mm. got to Yeah, well, the masking this. thing. The masking is like, it's one of the high holies of the pandemic rationale and the pandemic response. And we saw YouTube very unfriendly to anybody questioning masking or anybody criticizing masking. Yeah. Um, or any of yeah. the government's chosen interventions. Well, the poke especially. Yeah, you can't criticize that either. And, but I feel like it's changing. I feel like, you know, in the beginning or at least within you know, six months to a year ago, it was a little bit more intense with the censorship. And now they are backing off a little bit. I don't know. We haven't had anything on DR, you know, knock on wood, throw salt over my shoulder. <laughs> uh, we haven't had any strikes on DR yet. And we've we've kind of gone into, you know, in the beginning, we were a little bit more uh, paranoid about what content we put on YouTube. Now we just leave everything up. Yeah, we've definitely um, tested and we've, pushed the boundaries. We've, we've pushed the boundaries. <laughs> we've danced along the borderline, so to speak. Yeah. But uh, so far, so good. And yeah. But as you know, like in the case of Joe Rogan, they can always go back three or four years and then suddenly yeah. uh, ding you for that. Yes. Yeah, I have a feeling that might actually happen, to be honest. And and it's like, at this point, I don't even know, can we even go back and review every single episode to oh, see no. what's in there and like no. pull it out? It's but they would have to, somebody would either have to manually report one of our older episodes or could happen. somebody at Twitter would actually have to start watching and listening to everything, you know, which... Good luck. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the malicious reporting thing is an interesting subject we can talk about a bit, but I think it's it's one of the reasons. Like, it's not all algorithm, that's for sure. There's definitely people who find you sometimes, and they really don't like what you're saying, what you're doing, and they will like kind of digitally stalk you and try to find anything, something that you slipped up and said that they can then try to use and report to get you to get you taken down. Yeah. And we're certain that the government, I mean, we, we've done a FOIA request um, for Michael Sanger and myself and, and Daniel Kotzen, and they've been avoiding it, ignoring it. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to, you know, uh, do something more to make that happen. But I know, you know, uh, 
Alex Berenson was on their list, uh, you know, actually known to be on their list. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, I think uh, some others that we know were already known to be on the list. I, I we would be hardly surprised in that there weren't communications where my name and uh, many of, of those amongst the Team Reality crew were in actual communications uh, to Twitter uh, from the federal government or vice versa, right? Back and forth discussions about he taking people. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why I'm still on there and as shadow banned as I am. I seem to be more shadow banned than even Trump was at the time, you know, back in the day. Um, and I, yeah, you're right. I don't know anybody who's shadow banned in that in the way that I am with yeah. those particular features, which is I would have thought there should be a whole class of people of a similar. You say, yeah, I'm like, yeah. I haven't really met anybody that has that peculiar nature to it. That's a good point. I have also not stumbled upon. I, I mean, I can't even think of another account off the top of my head right now that has the click wall feature. And also, it's like every link that you post is hidden behind that sensitive media filter where you have to click again to reveal whatever the image associated with it is so had you have you reached out to twitter about this specific i have yeah i've complained about it um they have my and i'm not sure when it happened they have my um there's a i can choose to be a sensitive content like a porn site or whatever and i would then click that over to say i am sensitive content yeah it's just it's clicked over and then it's unable i'm unable to do anything about it you know like Uh, it's just permanently clicked over there at some point they clicked it over and prevented me from changing it Interesting. Which I then complained. I said, how come it's unchangeable and they just never reply? So the lawsuit, um, how did that come about? And did this go anywhere? Was this dismissed? And are you going to jumping, jumping to the end? It was dismissed. It was this, uh, but we're in the the next, we're still going to be appealing. There's uh, there's many other steps to this. So it's not by any means over. We were dismissed the same week that Alex Berenson's case, half of his case was dismissed. Um, Justin Hart um, was suing Facebook for uh, uh, banning one of their groups. His case was dismissed on the same day. And Donald Trump's was dismissed the very next day, his suit against Twitter. Um, So despite these four lawsuits uh, starting points um, being widely variable, you know, uh, in time, two years, one year, you know, completely no correlation. They all uh, ended coincidentally that week. which is, may just be a coincidence, but it's, it is pretty damn interesting coincidence. So uh, I'm not sure that any of us are, are done. Um, I doubt that Trump is done, although I haven't heard his, what his next steps are. We certainly have a number of next steps, which I can't really talk about at this point. From what I understand, he you know basically expressed interest, well, no interest in coming back onto Twitter. You know, people. That's have what that. he says, but you know, he never changes his mind. But anyway, I'm hoping he moves forward with it at, at any rate. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. So. Brenson, Brenson got past. Uh, he's going on Discovery, right? That was, I think, I read that in one of his Substack pieces. Yeah, I think so. Um, and and so he'll be able to um, uh, undress or de-dress. What do you, you know, uh, Twitter executives uh, and bring them onto the stand. Hmm. Yeah, he gets to ask them questions under oath. So where I want to ask about your thoughts on Elon. Um, you know, we can't talk about this subject at this point and not bring him up. He's too, he's too involved in all of this now. You know, what are your thoughts about him? Do you think someone like him can be trusted? Do you really think he has the best interests of, you know, other people at heart and cares about free speech? Or do you think this is uh, something more nefarious? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, believe, I believe what he's saying, and he's certainly putting his money behind it. There's a lot of, uh, there's, first of all, compared to what? 
even if you were worried about him compared to what? The, it's a good know, point. <laughs> status quo sucks. Like, I mean, the current owners are Saudis yeah. and other, you know, other kinds of you know, just just people that. Why would you trust these folks? Um, he uh, is the kind of guy who has always shown that he's got strong principles that drive him, and he's got many investments he could have made um, that wouldn't have brought this kind of a potentially risky attention. I mean, it wasn't. It could go either way from attention wise. And it could go either way uh, investment wise. I, I think he was making this investment not on the basis of it being an investment per se, although he's hoping it's a good investment. He's not going to do it if, he's, if he knows it's going to be a loss, but uh, out of an idealistic sort. So it could still go all wrong. But I don't, there's a lot of folks who just seem to be um, glass half full folks who just want to think this is a disaster and that he's really up to some nefarious purposes. Um, even so, I'm not really sure if that turned out to be the case that we'd be any worse off than we are now. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it, too, because it's like, look, you already have these tech billionaires running these companies and the censorship and all that is already there. We're already contending with it. So like, well, Elon buys Twitter. What what could happen in you know in regards to that? Maybe it gets a little worse. I, I don't know. Yeah. And he's at least and he's, these other owners of yeah. these other owners own a lot of other things, but none of us even know what they also own. And so yeah. we're not going to go out and then go not buy their other stuff because we don't even know what their other stuff. I mean, just we don't know. They're kind of behind and. In principle, we could probably figure it out. But Elon knows we could just suddenly stop buying his cars, suddenly yeah. stop. There's a whole lot of stuff that we can stop doing if we if he, if the PR doesn't go well, which could easily, it's very coin flipping. No one can yeah. figure out these things goes. He very much staked his reputation on all of this because he's yeah. been very public about why he's doing it. Like this is for free speech. That is what he, you know, that's his motivation. So if he doesn't stand behind that, he's yep. definitely going to be held accountable in the sense that everyone's going to remember. I mean, like he's yep. one of the most famous people in the world. Everyone saw what he said and what his motivation, his stated motivations were. So if he doesn't follow through and stick to that, it's going to be really hard for him to get away with that. So right. that's partly what gives me a little hope that perhaps you know, he really is going to do what he's what he's saying he's going to do and that he's going to make the platform an open place of discourse and lift as many of the regulations as possible. But we'll see. You know, that's kind of where I am with Elon. I don't really know exactly where he stands. I'm just kind of waiting and observing and seeing. And, and I have no control over this stuff anyway, too. Like people getting up in arms about this. Like, what are you going to do? Stop Elon from buying Twitter? <laughs> like you think you tweeting and complaining about it on the internet is going to just stop this right. from happening? It's not. But it's not the way that you package it is great because the fact that Elon, who's supposedly, uh, you know, borderline autistic, which I, I don't, you know, it's semi-plausible uh, given his story. But nevertheless, um, those sorts of when you make claims and you do it um, in the way that he has, which are effectively emotional claims, he's put emotionally expressive claims all the time. You know, he's doing these. These are not like something that a robot. I will hereby uh, buy Twitter and establish free expression. You know, like, no, it's like he's packaging it up and kind of sort of smart barbs and you know it's showing disdain to the current like a lot of stuff that he's doing in these things these are complicated emotionally expressive things even if you don't see his face in these things they're emotionally expressive and in doing so he's using the powers of emotional expressions which is all about betting your reputation which is what shows other people that you are potentially being honest in what your claims are and so it's sort of this nice meta point that He's using the powers of free expression himself to convince us of his honesty hmm. just in his project to save free expression. He's really tweaking a lot of noses in the process. Yeah. <laughs> what was the recent thing he said about Biden, Brent? Um, 
he said something uh i think it was yesterday i forget that really uh shook people <laughs> but he he is just he's getting no holds bar with this stuff man he's calling out everyone his uh, his um burn on uh, aoc <laughs> basically like saying she was flirting with him and then she tried to deny that her tweet was about him when it's like come on it was very obviously about him stop aoc but what was the thing brent biden what did he say about biden checking on he must have been a reply to something else because it's not on his timeline or you could just do the quick thing and go to Google. Well, he did just tweet 13 minutes ago, political attacks on me will escalate dramatically in coming months. <laughs> it's got... Oh, it was... Uh, he said the, the real president is whoever controls the teleprompter. Oh, that's... Oh, that was, that was funny. Was like, wow, yeah. man. He's coming for everyone, <laughs> including the president of the United States. So it is fascinating to see. And I'm, you know, I'm interested to see where he's going to go with this stuff, but I'm definitely not going to, like, put all my hopes in it you know like some folks are but i'm also not going to go to the other crazy side and just be like all right this is doom and gloom he's an evil billionaire he's gonna you know i don't know run for president and put chips in all their brains <laughs> who knows though i don't know that would be yeah. a great sci-fi novel though yeah i'm gonna turn down the chip in the brain personally turn down the chip in the brain yeah well <laughs> I would love to get him on DR and personally like grill him on that. <laughs> She'd be like, so Elon, would you ever mandate Neuralink? <laughs> Creepy. It's like, I want you on record saying no. Well, and then also <laughs> with Twitter, we just had this big exposed Twitter, uh, you know, uh, thing from Project Veritas. Uh, where yeah. They got that guy yep. on uh, camera basically saying, you know, that they don't they don't use free speech they don't like free speech and then also mocked him for yeah. having what he could described as asperger's yes. so he, he just... called him special needs it's like dude this guy's like the richest guy in the world oh shoot Hold he on. launches uh the bell just rang he launches like sophisticated rockets into space and right. like building electric cars and you're over here like all oh, the guy has special needs it's absurd. Yeah. i don't did you see that project veritas i did yeah i mean you can imagine someone making fun of the pillow guy for example yeah. i'm not saying that pillow. i don't know anything about the pillow guy but all entrepreneur all, all entrepreneurs are smart you know even if it's about pillars or something that's not per se a smart looking thing but in this case not only is an entrepreneur not only is he a billionaire but all of his stuff is deeply technically interesting and smart so like it just blows your mind that someone would uh would imagine making fun of him uh, for that best part of that leak though was the ending in which the guy on the date with the other guy <laughs> meaning the twitter employee literally brings up project veritas on the date and brings up the email that they were all sent telling them to be careful about project yeah. veritas yeah. and that people might try to date them and get information and stuff he's like literally there on the date talking to the guy <laughs> and it's just funny because he, even like the Project Veritas undercover dude kind of like tries to throw his son off when he reads the email and he's like, oh, yeah, who is this Project Veritas? Veritas. <laughs> <laughs> like deliberately mispronounced yeah. it to try yeah, to... Like, so. God, that had me cracking up last night when I saw this drop. <laughs> yeah, that, that man's life will be... That's his life. That's what, how he will be remembered. Yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, look, live by the sword... <laughs> Die by the sword. I mean, you want to play these games of, of censorship and all this stuff, and you, you think people aren't going to retaliate and stand up to you? Right. I think Project Veritas is doing the freaking Lord's work. I think this is amazing. <laughs> I hope they catch more people in this way and just record them spilling the beans like this. Love it. Yeah. Oh, jeez. So 
Should we move on to yeah, so prognostications? Prognostications. So one of the other things I really wanted to discuss with you is the fact that the mandates are being pulled back now. Um, we're beginning to see this lull, right, in all of this. And I am finding it incredibly hard to still trust anyone after what we lived through over the last two years. And not just people in power and the government, but even people in, you know, I knew in my own personal life, I can't trust that if another emergency is announced, real or feigned, that these people won't do all of this again to you, to me, you know, to their neighbors, to their friends and family. And I'm curious, you know, what you think about that. Do you think this is over or do you think the government might try to use these powers any chance they get? Um, and will people take that, you know, or will they have learned? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the answer exactly. Of course, no one does. Um, my feeling, though, is that um, it depends a lot in, in the United States, at least because federalism, we have a lot of variability from state to state. And. I get the impression that some states have just gone past the threshold where they're probably unlikely to go back, even if their own government starts to try to ramp it up, or the government's going to already have this impression that no, I, I've lost the people. Uh, Ohio's like this, Florida's definitely like this, uh, Texas, I believe, is like this, and they they've got this feeling like from the bottom up is that they're all their middle fingers are in there and say, don't you even freaking think about it. Whereas in a lot of states, the narrative has still never gone away. The narrative is still we did a good job and it's only you know and the summer's been great only because we all did our, our good part in locking down and so forth and i think that certainly there's a lot of angry people but they're not enough and they're still um ready to go and it'll happen again uh, so that's i think you'll it's certainly in canada and, and, and you know in australia and new zealand and in certain parts of europe it looks like it's ready ready to go uh, again but i don't see it happening here in in ohio um, with the current batch of people in this generation, I think I, I feel like um, uh, largely we're, we've been past that for almost a year and a half now, and uh, uh, we yeah we're just luckily that the 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 nature of the people here, even in Columbus, which is more left than the rest of the state, seems to be past that. Cross my fingers. Yeah, we were. So we spent a large part of the pandemic time down in Florida and people were over it from like the get go. We were we started spending a lot of time down there in March of 2021. Where where in Florida exactly? Uh, Space Coast, uh, southeast of Orlando, basically a little okay. French town. Yeah, we, we could see Elon launch stuff from the roof so, oh, yeah. where we were staying. It was pretty cool. It was a nice place to, to stay for a while. But the beach town where we were at, it was very rare to see people wearing um, masks, for example, outside of like medical contexts. Every once in a while, you'd see one in the food store, you know, somewhere, but it was pretty rare uh, the entire time. They did make the staff wear them, I remember, for a long period of time. Um, and, and then we came back to New York. It seems like people here, there's still probably about, I'd say, I don't know, 20%, 10% of the people just on the street wearing a mask or doing it chin diaper style, which I always find really amusing. But what was it like in New York on May, whatever, 18th of last year? Oh, it was probably about 90% of okay. yeah. walking around masked, uh, you know, chin diaper or, you know, just full on masked. But there was, it was a lot more and it was a lot more consistent, which is one of the reasons we kind of like, you know, ski daddled for a time. Well, I think the, the main reason though, honestly, at least for me on a personal level is, we weren't 
we weren't going to get the poke. That was just not going to happen. And we also, on principle, refused to even get fake passes and all that stuff. And what it came down to is we're just like, we're not we're not going to spend money in this place anymore. If this is what they're going to do, if you're going to enforce these mandates, if you're going to segregate people, we are going to take our money and our presence elsewhere. What little of it we have left. Yeah, what little <laughs> of it we have left. We're going to go take it elsewhere, patronize other businesses, and, and put our time and energy there. And yeah. I think that, you know, and I, I don't just mean just from us too, because obviously we're just one little drop in the bucket, but I think collectively – because so many people did do that over the last two years when all this you know started to really get crazier and crazier and more authoritarian here that's part of why they've been backing down over here because look they got the businesses who enforced this stuff got doubly hit they got hit by the lockdowns in the first place right and the initial mandates that was an economic hit and then when they were forced by the government to then enforce these mandates they segregated a large portion of their clientele which lost them further money so when things were then opened up again they weren't getting the same numbers that they were previous to all of this it was impossible and i think more and more people here in new york city and places like this started to feel the economic hit of that of the people they segregated taking their money elsewhere and refusing to get the shot and saying well screw you you know We'll patronize another business and they also shut down a whole bunch of offices all of these major corporations that had headquarters here yeah. you know they were working on skeleton crews a lot of people working from home and that you know knocks off business for bodegas it knocks off business for restaurants that people yes. are getting their lunch or their dinner here in the city and now instead they're eating at home so a lot of the incidentals uh you know and people are shopping on amazon instead of going into you know a boutique store on fifth avenue because who wants to go into a store when there's a pandemic or if they you know make you have a make you have a wear a mask or also have to show your your fax port card or whatever it's just that's too much it's too much damage and we still haven't even seen the extent of the damage because it's still like an ongoing slow collapse well and it's not being discussed anymore in a sense like right now for example people are talking about inflation and all of that and we're focusing on the money being printed and the war in ukraine and all of this stuff but i don't see anyone talking about what i think was what an started all of that which was the lockdowns in the first place that that was that was why they started printing all this money in the first place and now they're over here trying to divert attention and saying like oh well it's because of the war it's like no it's because of these policies that were in this in this uh condition right now yeah yeah it seems like we've gotten hooked on this endless printing of money and it was you know at first it was just for an emergency oh we have this pandemic oh we have to do this or everyone will die ah um, and now it's like, oh, there's like this conflict over in Ukraine. We can't let Putin win. We better print more money. I'm just like, guys, stop printing yeah. money. <laughs> Interesting how quickly uh, the coof, you know, 19 dis- disappeared from the headlines too when all of that kicked off. Very interesting. Yeah, it seems like they don't want to talk about the um, the origins anymore. And it's weird because they keep bringing it back. Like they just had a UN virtual summit. Well, didn't this thing that I didn't up? Biden just get done saying that? Oh, this isn't over. So like, this is from last week. Uh, today is the 18th, so this is from the 12th of May. Yeah, uh, they had a digital COVID summit, or is the second COVID summit? 
And Biden says this pandemic isn't over. He said at the event on Thursday, quote, we are making available health technologies that are owned by the United States government, including stabilized spike protein that is used in many COVID-19 vaccines. We're standing up to a new pilot program. Uh, standing, I, sometimes I can't even understand what he's saying. We're, We're standing, standing up, up to a new... a new pilot program, working with the Global Fund to expand access to rapid testing and antiviral treatments for people in harder to reach areas. They're not going to let this go. <laughs> yeah, so talking about a $450 million contribution to the Pandemic Preparedness uh, and Health Security Fund at the World Bank. Um, and then talks about how we've already provided 19 billion to help countries fight COVID-19 all around the world, providing life-saving medicines, oxygen tests, blah, 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 blah. And then, yeah, he's, he tags that on with, he's been asking Congress for more money for fighting the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. But it looks like they, they don't want to let this go. And, mm -mm. you know, I, I had a tweet the other day. I was like, you know, I feel like we're going to have to expose all the lies and malfeasance. Oh, yeah, we have to. Yeah. Because yeah their narrative hasn't broken with when you're in that. And even in my city, um, I mean, and this gets back to something you hinted at before. Um, everything is open. Everything doesn't have masks. No, no place in my in the cities where I, I am uh, required the poke um, unless it's art uh, studio, museum of art which is paid by the government or paid by the state. These folks, one, they don't really have a bottom line that they're worried about. They have a regular income coming from the government. Two, they are super happy knowing that no Trump supporters, evil Trump supporters are there, right? So they don't mind that loss of business. And, they're, and in their communities, they're not consciously thinking this through, but they're happy about it. And their narrative is, is that uh, Biden announced in February or whatever, how lockdowns and all these interventions uh, help prevent the deaths of millions of people. And to the extent that there were millions of deaths is because of Trump and the evil deniers. And that's their narrative. And it hasn't gone away. It's going to have to be beaten down their throats with lawsuits and, um, and un, you know, uh, hopefully journalistic coverage uh, break, you know, and these sorts of things. And so and, and until they're uh, humiliated and lose their reputations on the base of this, and, and uh, then it's not over. Yeah, my, my friend's a teacher in New Jersey, and he sent me a screenshot of an email they sent out recently to the staff about a lesson they were supposed to add to the curriculum for the end of the year to, I guess, have students reflect on their, you know, the pandemic experience and all the stuff they went through and all this. And, like, you read the email and just the whole tone of it, like, this is what I, this is what I said to him in response. I said, this sounds like a train wreck of cope. Will any of them ever admit how absurd their responses have been to all of this and the damage caused by those responses rather than the virus itself? They haven't learned a fucking thing, unsurprisingly. Yeah. And he responded, he said, they've learned nothing. No admission of guilt, just a giant, my bad, as more of their bullshit is publicized over time, if there's anything at all. Most of these psychos still believe they were justified. They're even making people that, that uh, they're even still making people test, and he said. It's all absurd, despicable, and disgusting. I'm not showing this propaganda in my classroom. I doubt anyone will say anything anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's yeah. insane. Like I, I, we literally went through this period where you know our our entire society 
except for the most essential minimize like functions, which totally shut down all over a respiratory infection, which has, you know, comparable levels of virulence. Maybe it was a little bit more infective. Yeah, but it was like a bad flu season. It was, you know, but the thing is though, like more kids died in the 2018 to 2019 flu season yeah. than died of COVID. But we know that that this new virus doesn't affect kids in the same way so which is again what makes it so absurd with the well, mass now, policies now they're and trying to they're, the they're trying to and they're trying to change that narrative too and saying that oh well we don't know because of long covid and how it affects blah 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 yeah, no, I, think I just long saw COVID on twitter is... today i just saw on twitter today somebody from the new york state department of health tweeting about how we have a surge in hospitalizations of people under the age of 19 for covid like illness did yeah. not even not even confirmed COVID. Just COVID like yeah. I'm like we're in the midst of allergy yeah. season, and people are probably just going to the hospital because yeah. you know or know. or yeah. something else was recently introduced into our public health system <laughs> into people's bodies. Who knows? But I wanna I won't say anything beyond that of what that could be. <laughs> that's, that's conspiratorial, Daniel. All I know is uh, I'm seeing a lot of stories like this with young people just all of a sudden having heart attacks and, and things like that, just collapsing on the field, playing sports. And That's the other thing that they really... They want to normalize this. Well, it's just it's insane how many people are reporting uh, extreme side effects, including death, uh, from people who got the injections. And there's just mums the word. There's no media coverage of it. Um, even and when you talk to people, you know, and ask them, does the doctor say anything about, you know, the shot being related? Do they report it? No, 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 no. And like not even considered. And it just, it, it's bizarre that they don't even, the, the whole thing is just, it's like, you can't even talk about the possibility that maybe the shot contributed to the adverse event that they experienced without being labeled some sign of, you know, crazy Q and on anti-vax, whatever. Yeah. Well, I did, I did have a friend, uh, uh, he's a CrossFit, a friend and competitor with me and he just had a pericardial uh, event and was in the, ended up in the hospital and, and i asked him did the doctors ask you about that and he said actually they did that was one of the first things they asked so i think a lot of doctors certainly they wouldn't want to go on the record but in for their own patients they are asking them. well that's good Here, here's a headline from abc news uh this was reshared by james Lindsay. Um, this was from May 10th, and the headline is Breakthrough Deaths Comprise Increasing Proportion of Those Who Died from COVID-19. Quote, these data should not be interpreted as vaccines not working, it's unquote, the the, one expert the said. Sub, the subtitle. Yeah. And then James uh, shares it with a caption. He said, prison, nothing short of prison for millions if necessary. It's well, a good question. I mean, how how soon did Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson know that the one efficacy of their products was not as advertised, and two that the safety of their products was not as as advertised? Because we heard the litany from all the experts and all the authorities about safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. And if you questioned that. Why holy dogma you were slammed on social media with shadow banning or sent or outright censorship or having your channel not just that in the beginning they were basically saying like 100 percent safe and effective they weren't even there's actually they weren't video, even like leaving room there's a video out there that shows the percent of efficacy 
dropping and then the headlines over time yeah. you can watch and it puts it to like uh what is that song it's like uh charge of the valkyries or something that dun, 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 yeah, dun, yeah 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 blows my that video is hilarious but it shows the efficacy dropping and then it's it's now into the point where it could even possibly for some people be negative meaning that the fact that they got the shots makes their uh illness more worse because of either uh you know vaccine dependent um uh what's it called i can't remember the phrase but basically what happens is the vaccine generates inefficient or ineffective antibodies and that taxes your body's resources for dealing with the illness. So instead of being able to deal with it as a, a native or a, a natural person would be generating effective antibodies, your body generates ineffective ones, which kind of makes it the situation worse and more drawn out for you. Yeah, it's a little bit like overtraining. Um, uh, yeah, I, the uh, one thing that I haven't talked about for the most part on Twitter was early treatments and this issue. And I'm still as shocked because I knew that these are you just but you basically can't talk about these and still i'm as shadow banned as i am so uh yeah yeah that one of the first times uh on my old twitter account that i got suspended was because i had the temerity to suggest that vitamin c and vitamin d might be safer than untested uh you know questionably experimental treatments uh from the pharmaceutical companies and i got that that post got me Blocked off for two weeks. I think. Medical misinformation, Brent. Well, and the thing is, like, the, we knew there there are published papers on this is not like, yeah. You can look up that shows that vitamin C and vitamin D independently and together both increase your probability of having a healthy outcome uh, if you're exposed to any not not just yeah. COVID but any Anything. respiratory yeah. illness. Yeah, the the you know the benefits for the immune system of D and C aren't like new this is something we've had data on for a long time and not time, once so. did our chosen did our you know unquestionable authorities in the biden administration or or the who or the cdc uh mention vitamin c or d well fauci at all fauci mentioned it that one time when, when he was asked on a podcast by jennifer garner instagram yeah by, by jennifer, jennifer garner and she asked him if he had taken any vitamins and he responded and those were some of the ones he listed i think he listed c he listed d he listed i think zinc and that that was about it i mean he basically admitted they work and they help your immune system but that was about it you're not going to find any other suggestion from these people that perhaps you know it could have saved lives if they actually recommended these things but, yeah it just strikes me that they have like all like their big three interventions which were social distancing or lockdowns um the the shots and the masks not only were largely ineffective but also had uh iatrogenic or com they, they compounded the problem by making the situation worse in a variety of different ways from inability to express yourself to damaging developmental uh situations for children um to demolishing the economy and and basically ruining people's economic situations such that it drove all of our cortisol levels up because we're all stressed out now about the economic situation yeah so it's, which yeah. tanks your immune system so right. it makes it more I mean, likely it, 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 there was some uh, i forgot the person's name but one of the covid uh, uh, baton twirlers even just last just two days ago uh saying how we we in the covid you know lockdown uh, supporters have been following the precautionary principle, unlike, and he pointed at Stefan Burrell, someone at Team Reality, quote, 
unlike these people who have just been completely undermining the precautionary principle. And so these people actually believe that the precautionary principle says, hey, let's take precautions to protect ourselves from things that are, are potentially dangerous. Do you think they that philosopher types need to write down a principle that says, hey, let's try to protect ourselves from things that are dangerous? That's not the point. Yeah. The point of the precautionary principle is a non-trivial one, which is the dangerous thing about doing coming up with policies to protect yourself is that often you damage yourself, that you're, you are your own biggest uh, danger. And so the, what, the burden of evidence is always on those that are putting forth the new sorts of policies and new interventions that are supposedly going to protect you from something else. The burden of evidence is on them to show yeah. that it actually works and doesn't have uh, a dam damages that are, are worse than the benefits. That's the whole point of the precautionary principle. You wouldn't need a principle, but they really are still walking around in their narrative. That's what they think that they did, and they were totally justified, and we misunderstand the precautionary principle. Yeah. I remember we talked about this on the episode we did with you, uh, the first one we did, but uh, I agree. I, I think they don't seem to understand what that term means, and they don't seem to understand that they are the ones, like you said, who have the burden of proof here. If you're pushing these policies and you're advocating for them, it is not our responsibility to prove that these things work. It's yours. You're the one advocating for them. Oh, yeah. The idea is that we don't have to prove that they're a harm or that they're ineffective. You have to prove that they are safe. That and they effective. work. Yeah. And just from what we've seen, I think there's been plenty of evidence to, to suggest that they aren't safe and effective. And despite that, you know, we haven't quite pierced the, the media bubble. The, the corporate media seems to have the, the wagons circled for this for, you know, I guess, because in reality, if, if it were to come out that they've been, uh, you know, if, if enough people realized how criminal <laughs> and on what scale the criminality is for their behavior over the last two years. There could be thousands at least of people being charged with crimes. I mean, potentially more. I mean, just thinking about Peter Daszak and Fauci and how they did all those shady little uh, rearrangements with the money in order to get uh, you know, the people in China paid at the Wuhan Institute for, uh, you know, coronavirus research to get them paid. They had to do a lot of shady, like, you know, moving it to this party and then moving it to that party and because the research that they wanted to do was technically forbidden. So how they're not being brought up charges is it's well, it's really it's up to the Department of Justice, which is a kind of a joke right now. They're not really they, they sort of politically pursue things that are you know advantageous for the administration as opposed to being a neutral arbiter of the law and enforcing the law you know equally against you know any particular offender so on the note of the precautionary principle and i want to kind of i guess relate all of this back to mark's latest book but uh, i wanted to focus specifically on children and how children were affected through all of this, not just from the shots, but I guess specifically from the masks and all of that. And, you know, what are your thoughts on this, Mark? Like, what do you think we're going to see down the line from the children growing up in this era coming of age or even younger in like their formative years, you know, like one to five? And Yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that, you know, certainly there's when you're not getting the kinds of stimuli that are needed during your, you know, those sorts of years, uh, you are going to have deficits. I, I'm not a developmental psychologist to have a good um, intuition as to how long those deficits are going to occur. Now, in, in reality, these kids come home, hope to God their parents are not masked in the house, 
they're spending a lot of time in other situations. So hopefully they are going to be developed. I mean, there were studies that are claiming that there were some developmental decrements. I remember seeing those studies. I can't, I didn't read them carefully. Um, I'm more worried about um, the the folks that are maybe a little bit older than those very young, the under fives, the folks that are, you know, seven to 25 years old who have this notion that, oh, you know, it's, it's okay to mandate everybody on earth to wear masks, whether or not we have any evidence that they work or have harms. It's okay to force everybody home and you can freeze an economy. It's okay to shut down businesses. It's okay to stop free speech because that could be dangerous. And oh my God, free speech is fascism. Yeah. These are the things that they hear every day in social media. They hear every day on CNN. And uh, when you look at how uh, authoritarian folks are and how against free speech they are, um, it uh, correlates very strongly uh, with age. And I've had substacks uh, in my substack, you know, going through these sorts of numbers that other people have published. Uh, just the younger they are, the more that they are in favor of, of censoring and uh, permanently suspending uh, voices that are outside of the narrative. Well, look so at folks are just they're just raising a new generation of, of, of perfectly sweet author authoritarians, right? Well, they know that too. Authoritarians understand this. I mean, look at Hitler youth. They understood this. They knew you had to come for the young minds, and and that was how you can kind of shape society in the way that you wanted to. Is you had to go for that generation that is still malleable, you know, because people who are older are already more set in their ways. This is like established fact. We know this. Yeah. Well, even whether they intended or not intended, those that are that age are going to be. In, they're just impressionable. They're going to. This is what happened. All these things happened. Violation of civil rights became the rule. Well, they're going to just think, okay, that's the kind of thing that can happen in society. Whereas for for me and you guys, it's like just blew my mind yeah. that uh, I mean, people from Iran, like my wife and my family from Iran, um, it kind of blew. At least for some of them, it blew their mind. But I, you could imagine that. Oh, I've already been in a world where civil rights violations happen all the time. In much of the world outside of the United States, free expression is not even a thing. The idea that the government can't stop you from saying something is is sort of even in Australia and in England, it's not they don't have the attachment to free expression like we do. So in the United States, it's still a battle. In a lot of other countries, it's just almost foreign. Uh, even in Australia, the idea of it is fairly foreign. So the new generation is going to be more like that. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about like how I just I find it hard to trust people the same way anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it's going to be more of the younger people or people like my age or a little younger than me. Um, like, again, I, just, I can't trust that when the when when the authorities say go, that these people aren't going to do all of this again to us. And, you know, how, how do we stop that? I don't know. You know? Yeah. I mean, if, if folks of the people that were in charge are roughly my generation, you know, as a guy, I just turned 53 last week. So just to first order. The people that are in charge, they're my generation. And for folks in my generation, this is seriously fucked up. And so if they could do it, imagine 20 years down the road for people who grew up seeing these kinds of things, the threshold for them to go and do this sort of thing might be much lower. And it's even more, even easier to, to occur. I hope not. God, I hope you're wrong about that. I yeah. hope I hope it's the opposite. I hope some of these younger people now learned from this. I hope so, that there'd be bigger pushback. But I think that's, um, yeah, so that, that'll be on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it was just like very shocking to me how, you know, the natural tendency for youth is to rebel. 
And we've seen that natural tendency sort of co-opted in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the critical race and critical gender movement and how they sort of co-opt the natural tendency. And they paint this narrative that the, the, the existing structure is this oppressive thing. And then we have an actual instance where the structure becomes this oppressive thing. And it's not even like the, those same sensitivities don't actually get lit up in the kids that have imbibed that ideology. So it just blows my mind that the, the language that they're using is not the same language that the rest of us use outside of the sort of social justice echo chamber, I guess you could call it. Um, and but they have the, but a lot of them got to this point where it was like, oh, this is affecting, you know, BIPOC and people of color. Uh, more and so we have to, you know, do these interventions more to help them, and it, like totally ignoring yeah, well, the they, fact that it's actually hurting that population. They basically fused like the COVID new normal mentality fused with the woke doctrine in mm -hmm. a sense. Like the woke thing to do became to shut everything down, put the mask on, take the shot. That is the progressive woke yeah. position. Yeah. And if you say that you're authoritarian, they will laugh at you. They they really don't see this authoritarian. They say they'll just say freedom, you know, like just like make fun of. Oh, you're right to say what you want on social media. Oh, a mask covering your face, not a big deal. And they, every single civil rights violation. Oh, you had to take a vax, big freaking deal, blah blah blah. Um, this these kinds of things happen when. So, for example, if I was to say I'm so angry at the government uh, and their civil rights violations because I can't uh, go to a restaurant without my shirt on, even we would kind of laugh and giggle, right? Because going to a shirt with to, to a restaurant without your shirt on or to public spaces without your shirt on uh, is already a taboo. We've all grown up with it as a taboo and we consider it on the we consider the banning of it not a civil rights violation because it's in that taboo range. Uh, and another example I gave, you know, like imagine a brother and sister consensually wants to have sex, right? Incest in that adult sense. Um, it, it is illegal and all of us think it ought to be illegal and all of us are grossed out by it. We don't consider it a civil rights violation that, that uh, brothers and sisters aren't allowed to consensually as adults uh, have sex. But I mean, that is a civil rights violation in a sense. We are preventing adults from doing what they want, but we don't consider it. So the point being that for those that were in the lockdown camp, all of these things to lock down, to put a mask on, to socially distance, to show the signals for these things became morally virtuous and to not do them were taboos so it's like taboos like incest like all of these other kinds of taboos in life uh, and being naked in the wrong, wrong kinds of places and then they don't feel like civil rights violations when they're like that and so they really feel just like we feel about you know uh consensual incest in cases like that that's how it feels to them and i think that they're not lying they, they really don't see it as author authoritarian yeah. they see it more like that if anything, they, they view us as the authoritarians in a sense. They, they think uh, we are putting them in danger by not doing what they are doing. So they, they view us not wearing a mask it's as that, infringing that upon narcissistic reversal. their rights in some way. So yeah, Darvo. yeah. It's, it's totally Darvo. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. But they, they literally flip it. Yeah, they're just like, oh, well, you're the authoritarians. You're the ones hurting people and putting them in danger and stuff. It's like, well, I'm not trying to stop you from wearing a mask or getting poked. You can do that if you want. But I don't want you to control me and tell me what, what I should do with, with my body wearing my face. That's it. You know, it's, it's literally our position is just leave us alone. It's not a very complicated 
political position and it's not even a strictly right or left position because i know people from the right or left who hold that position in regards to these things and the mandate yeah. and stuff just leave me alone you know right yeah yeah and as we i don't know whether we talked about before the, the entire left right landscape uh has has flipped so that the left is now in the authoritarian and the what was right and of course with many counterexamples lots of folks on the left are now in the up but it's no longer left right it's uh, it's, it's vertical we've got sort of libertarian economic freedom, personal freedom uh, versus authoritarian, neither economic freedom that is shutdowns, lockdowns, controlling businesses, forcing social distancing on them, forcing masks on them, and, as well as personal freedoms, your ability to, you know, to, to wear and, and see whoever you want, hang out with the number of people that are allowed in your house. All of these things are both on economic personal sides um, uh, low in the case of the lockdown crew. So the, the, the entire debate isn't about left, right. It happens to correlate with what was previously left, right? But it's entirely a freedom versus authoritarian kind of debate. And yet they, down at the authoritarian, somehow don't see that they're authoritarian at all. Yeah, that's really tricky. You know, and it's it's kind of what we've seen in history is that people that are involved in these movements, they get swept up, you know, in what they perceive as social justice, end up committing the worst atrocities in you know, yeah. human history. Well, it's the, the old saying, right? The road to hell. It's paved, paved with, in good intentions. Paved with good intentions yeah. and all that. Yeah. There's, you know, these axioms come from somewhere. You know, they, yeah. there's, there's a deep truth that's usually condensed within sayings like that. Right. Yeah. Very strange. So where do you, where do you think this is all heading, Mark? Do you, do you think like the split in the country is going to get worse from this? And, and I don't know. And also, do you think it could flip the other way? Could the right all of a sudden become the new authoritarians just from like a reactionary kind of pushback against all of this? And I know there are some people who think that that is what's happening in regards to the abortion issue and all of that. And but I don't know. Do you do you think the wedge is going to get further? You know, is it going to further divide all of us? And could we be heading back toward lockdowns or I don't know? What do you think? I, I, my own guess is that that it's right now that the red and the blue states uh, will continue to diverge quite a bit. The red, I don't see um, falling back into the wave that we were last year or the year before. Um, the blue states, I think some of the blue states might, like New York or California, but many of the blue states, I think, are going to slowly pull themselves to be more like what red states were last year. And I feel like through those sorts of processes, competitive interstate kind of processes, I feel like the United States is 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 going to make our way out of it. We've got longer term battles in terms of the new kinds of sensibilities, in terms of free expression that we need to fix because um, just a healthy society needs to understand free expression and have a public square that has these things working, all the kinds of things I've talked about. But I feel like um, our kind of the federalism, decentralization that we sort of inherently have as a country, I think somewhat saved us, uh, whereas many other countries didn't have that. I mean, UK doesn't have that, but luckily they seem to have a good tradition of self-reflection yeah and now they're actually the uk seems to be going through lots of self-examination of what happened in having these sorts of committees or whatever uh, groups that are analyzing exactly what happened they have, they have a strong very British. correction very they really British. fucked themselves up but they really they suddenly stopped and now they seem to be correcting so i think despite being all centralized they 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 seem to have some mechanisms in place and a sensibility culture-wise that allows them to self-correct um, yeah. uh, America was definitely in a unique position. And I remember you brought this up on the last show you were on with us too. And the fact that it was something perhaps that many here took for granted, the fact that you could just put all your stuff in a car and go drive over to a new state 
and in your own country and stay in your own country. And now you are in a place that is more open and, and free and you can choose yep, to yep. be there instead of staying in, in the area that wants to be more authoritarian. Whereas, you know, other people would literally have to leave their entire country yeah. to find any sort of freedom and, and work opportunities and stuff to get around the mandates. Right. And that, that you're right. You know, we were very much in a, a unique position and, I guess it shows some of the benefits to the union, right? And all of that. And yeah. And so Florida, you know, Florida, it, it, I don't think DeSantis had won his governor position with a huge uh, majority the first time. I can't remember, but I think it was fairly, it's not like it was a super red state. It was just a yeah. red state. But now with the, the numbers and the shifts and hopefully sh shifts of sensibilities down there by virtue of kind of their own conversations and expression and sort of debates, I think, I think that next time around, were he to run for governor or were the next, I think they are in an even stronger position because of the new blood in, in Florida and, and in Texas. Um, it makes it even less likely for them to flip over to being authoritarian about COVID. Um, I suppose for the same exact reasons, California is more likely and New York is more yeah. likely because they've lost lots of red friendly, uh, you know, COVID hate, you know, COVID authoritarianism hating folks. You could argue that they're less likely, but then again, they're being punished in some sense, losing all of this, uh, uh, you know, tax income and, and economic vibrancy by these people leaving that hopefully there's that feedback will hopefully correct their politics as well so these are the processes that are missing in a lot of uh, a lot of places i mean for example we we were trying to go we might, we're thinking about moving to florida the prices there in places like miami have literally doubled or yes. more yes because of these i mean it's, just, it's ridiculous just you know yeah. crappy just just, just doubled it's, it's almost unaffordable it's practically unaffordable now yeah. yeah a mass 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 exodus took place over the last couple of years for sure and people have been swapping around the country not just you know to florida but to texas as well yep. um yeah it's interesting and what's also crazy too is uh I was, I forgot who I was talking to about this, but the census, you know, the census is not going to be accurate from 2020 because it was literally taken right when this exodus began. When people, when, when oh, people, that's right. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was during it, during the beginning of it okay. was when they were doing the census. So it was literally around when the swapping around the country started to happen. Yeah. And so what we're going to get is we're going to get a reading of what those numbers looked like before. And it's yeah. not going to be an accurate of what it is now, you know, because a lot of changing happened immediately after that census was done. So, yeah, true. All right. I guess with that, we will wrap it up. Um, I'm going to remind everyone really quick again, like comment, share, subscribe. If you want to help us out, donate, be sure to check out Mark's latest book, expressly human decoding the language of emotion co-written with Tim Barber. And then, uh, Mark, do you want to shout out your social media? You're on Twitter at Mark Changizi. Yeah, uh, Mark Changizi at Twitter. Um, also at YouTube, my my Science Moment channel. I'm 183 episodes in. I guess 120 of them have been post-COVID and are kind of COVID-centric in some way. I've got a Substack, markchangizi.substack.com. And, uh, uh, yeah, come find me. Awesome. Great. Thank Dude, you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Great we to see you guys. Love you, man. Take care. Bye-bye.